Mark chapter 1, page 812. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once, the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Uh, Nice to see you all. My name's Kieran. If you don't know me, uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, Was that? Was that my kids? Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, this isn't as exciting. Um, uh, I've, 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 I've had five weeks off, and uh, I've really, like, standing here singing tonight, I realised how much I really miss, like, our church. Uh, yeah, so take make of that as you will, but I've missed you. Uh, I've missed fellowshipping and worshipping with you, and I'm stoked uh, to be back here. Um, one of my favourite things to do is photobombing. Does anyone know what photobombing is? Yeah? So photo bomb is if someone's taking a photo, you try to get in that photo, right? Usually looking as silly or, yeah, crazy as, as you want. And it's really easy to do in a high touristy area. So if you go into Circular Quay, there's lots of tourists around taking photos, and you just want to try to stand next to the statue they're taking a photo of, subtly, because you don't want to get caught out, just like, I don't know, doing a West Side, or just doing something that like that, that's going to make the photo look funny when they look at it later, and possibly ruin it, right? Um, my favourite photo bomb, though, is the reverse camera photo bomb. If someone gives you their iPhone, says, can you take a photo of us? You're like, yeah, yeah, no worries. And you press the reverse camera, and you hold it out, and you click take a photo, um, and give it back to them, right? I remember we were in New Zealand uh, uh, a few years ago, and we were going on this beautiful road, and we pulled up to take a photo of this beautiful mountain, like there's heaps of them there, right? And someone's like, oh, can you take a photo of us in front of that mountain? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no worries. I did a reverse selfie and just gave it back to them and like sped off and looked in my rear vision mirror and they're like horrified. They're never going to be there again. I had to probably wait until the next person drove past. Um, 
The reason why I bring up photobombing is because there's something I've come, uh, I've come to notice recently in Renaissance art, which, as you can tell, that's my thing. Um, but in, Rena- in Renaissance art, like, photobombing is, is prevalent, right? Back in Renaissance art, there was guys called patrons. They were rich people, uh, usually from the Catholic Church, uh, and they wanted to invest money into the arts, which is a great thing. But they also wanted to have uh, their cut, right? And the way that they had their cut was that they would get to photobomb the picture of Jesus that uh, the people were drawing, right? So I don't know if you can see this very well, but this is someone's painting of the Virgin Mary and Jesus sitting on a nice throne. Uh, And then this bald, white, gown dude sitting there, he's not someone from the Bible story. Uh, He's like a a 14th century dude who just uh, paid for this painting to happen and wanted to be in it. He's like, here, here you go, Michelangelo, if you are. Like, here's heaps of money. I want you to paint this beautiful picture. And can you just stick my face in there, please? Right? It's like Renaissance photobombing. Uh, but I think the reason why they wanted to do it, number one, is to demonstrate, uh, just to remind everyone I'm really generous. But number two, they wanted to be part of Jesus' story. And I think about that. How cool would it be just to, like, if I could insert myself into Jesus' story? Like, I'm right there. Uh, and there's that fat bald dude, and that's Kieran, and I'm standing there with Mary and Jesus just after he's been born. That would that would be pretty amazing. Uh, and as I read the Gospels, and, and I suppose this is why so many people go on Israel for Holy Land pilgrimages, we want to insert ourselves into Jesus' story. Hold that thought for a little bit, because we're going to come into uh, come back to it in a moment, right? Trying to insert ourselves into Jesus' story. So I want to ask you a question. And I'd like people to give me an answer if you want. If I was to ask you in one word, what is a disciple? What would you say? Friend? Follower? Student? Cool, that'll do, that's three. Friend, follower, student. Yeah, that's right. Uh, all of those are encapsulated in this idea uh, of, of discipleship. But I think the most common one we do get is, I don't know who said follower, but well done. Uh, uh, that's, that's the most common answer you hear. A disciple is a follower. And that's a pretty good start, right? A follower. But it doesn't go far enough. It doesn't go far enough. Um, in the New Testament, uh, as one article puts it, uh, discipleship was, I quote, a deliberate apprenticeship which made the fully formed disciple a living copy of the master. Say that again. A dis- discipleship was a f- deliberate apprenticeship which made the fully formed disciple a living copy of the master. An apprenticeship. I like that phrase. Uh, I've heard it quite a bit recently in uh, in books and teaching and everything. And I was initially I initially balked at it, so it's another catchphrase to try to sell books or sound cool. But I've come to see how helpful it is as a way of describing a disciple of Jesus. Think of what an apprentice does. Here's Wikipedia's definition: An apprenticeship is a system of training a new generation of practitioners of a trade or profession with on-the-job training and often some accompanying study. Right? Training the new generation of practitioners with on-the-job training and study. That sounds exactly like what Jesus was doing with his disciples, right? Uh, theology professor Edward Sree says this, in the first century Jewish world of Jesus, being a disciple was all about one key word, imitation. When a disciple followed a rabbi, the goal wasn't merely to master the rabbi's teaching, but also to imitate the way he lived the way he prayed, studied, taught, served the poor, and lived out his relationship with God day to day. 
Even Jesus himself said in Luke 6, verse 40, that when a disciple is fully trained, he becomes like his teacher. And so, in a way, just like this dude here, right, and the other patrons of the Renaissance, uh, we get to be part of Jesus' story, but not in some sort of crass, ancient Photoshop sort of way. Uh, we are put in the same picture as Jesus as we learn and breathe and taste and work by his side, being formed fully into a disciple, just like our master. That's why I like the term apprenticeship. And so the goal of Christians, uh, Christian disciples isn't just to master his teaching, but also to imitate his character and his actions uh, and to continue his mission. And, and that's why our theme for this year, as you would have seen in the bulletin, if you looked or on Facebook, uh, is apprentices. Apprentices, that's our theme for the year, because as we study God's word this year, we're going we're to do it with the idea of apprenticeship in mind. Think about our apprenticeship to Jesus. We'll be looking at a number of different books from the Bible uh, and some topics as well, but primarily we'll be making our way through the Gospel of Mark from beginning to end. Uh, and you might think, why Mark? Well, the Gospel of Mark is about Jesus, as you probably already understand, but it's a carefully constructed selection of stories about Jesus designed to reveal uh, Jesus' identity as Messiah uh, and to highlight his teachings and his actions. That's why it's put together. It's carefully crafted to say, here's the Messiah and here's what he did. But for Mark, this knowledge of Jesus as the Messiah and the things he did, it's not purely academic. It's not just to build up our brains and think, you know, I've got a great story of this ancient guy who lived a long time ago. But his teachings and actions are there to be applied to our lives. His, who he is as a person is to be applied to our lives. At the very centre of Mark, three times Jesus speaks of his upcoming death and resurrection. Uh, these are the big things that point towards his identity. Uh, and each time he does, he follows it up with a call to radical discipleship, to apprenticeship. The three times he tells his disciples about his this is the big reason why I'm here, he follows it up with a call to say, you need to be my disciples. Uh, as his original apprentices discover, the more they learn about Jesus and his mission, the more they understand their role as his apprentices. And the Gospel of Mark, uh, as it reveals Jesus, and as we immerse ourselves in this man, then we're going to be equipped to continue his mission. Uh, it's like we're working on the, on the tool bench alongside him, uh, watching him, uh, listening to him seeing what he does and learning those skills from him. And my hope is that we're immersed in these beautiful stories, that we're going to be transformed and equipped as his apprentices. And through that, we'll be filled with the joy that comes through knowing him and being one with him. Just a little series intro, but before we uh, go any further, I just, want to, I just want to pray. I want to pray that God does just that for us, leads us into a deeper understanding of what it means to be Jesus' apprentices. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, that you have sent your son, Jesus. Uh, that the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us here on earth, and that uh, yeah, we've seen him. We've seen him through your word. Uh, these trustworthy stories that have been recorded for us. And uh, we thank you that when we meet Jesus, we meet, uh, we meet God. Uh, we thank you that when we meet Jesus in the word, uh, we have an opportunity to be transformed as he calls us, as he called his disciples, to be fishers and men, uh, and to be apprentices on his mission. And so as we study your word this year, we pray that you would do just that for us. You will train us, equip us, uh, give us the opportunities to serve uh, as we are formed more into the likeness of our master and as we train as apprentices of Christ. Amen.
So let's have a look. Well, we had Mark 1, 1 to 15 read for us before. We're not going to go through it like verse by verse, because um, there is a lot in there, and I'm sure you don't want me up here all night. But let's, let's just start with verse 1, right? This is how Mark starts. He says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Punchy start, isn't it? The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He tells us, tells us what the story's about, tells us who, tells us who it's about as well. It's the good news... And it's about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. I'm sure uh, these words many of us have heard before, right? But I don't think it's a good. I don't think it's good to assume we know what they mean. Uh, so let's just start with good news. I like good news. I'm sure you all like good news when you put on the news on TV. If anyone watches that anymore, and there's a story of a panda being born at the end, everyone loves that sort of stuff, right? We all need good news, and we actually crave good news at this point in time. Um, uh, especially in our current context, right? But what's the good news here? Well, the good news in this context here is the fulfillment of God's promises. In the Old Testament, good news is connected with God stepping in to help his people. God's intervening. And it's already begun, Mark said. It's the beginning of the good news. Right here, at the start of Mark's gospel, and gospel actually means good news, uh, we see the beginning of God's intervention to rescue and to make things right. It's a cool way to start a story, right? God's here, get ready. Uh, and this good news is about the Messiah. Who's the Messiah? Well, uh, Messiah is a Hebrew word, and it's the same as the Greek word Christ. They're the same, Messiah, Christ. Uh, it means anointed one or chosen one. It's the promised one from the Old Testament, the coming rescuer, the one who brings the good news. And as we find out through the Gospel of Mark, The cool thing is that Jesus is not only the bearer of God's good news, he is the good news. And he's also the son of God, Mark says. Uh, This is a name for Jesus that's repeated quite often throughout the Gospel of Mark. It's actually right at the climax in the Gospel of Mark at the end as well. And this points out that this Messiah, this promised one, this chosen one, is not just some dude, he's, he's divine. When you see him, you see God. And so if you want to reword what verse 1 says, I think this is a helpful way to put it. Here's the story of how God stepped in to make things right. The promised rescuer is here, and it is none other than God's Son. And straight from there, Mark jumps into three quick stories. We had them read before. Uh, I'm not going to go through them in depth, but uh, he goes through three stories from Jesus' early ministry to prove the points that he just made. He wants to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, And he wants to prove that Jesus is God's son. Uh, So the story about John the Baptist and John the Baptist being prophesied as the one who will come before the Messiah. uh, Mark puts that in there to show, see, this guy is the Messiah. He was prophesied. Uh, Even John the Baptist's words point towards Jesus as being the one of whom was prophesied. But then after that, uh, Mark proves his second point that Jesus is God's son. Uh, We heard Christine read out the baptism of Jesus. It's one of the one of the coolest uh, couple of verses in the Bible, when Jesus is baptized by John, uh, we hear God's voice and we see the Holy Spirit descend as a dove and God says, this is my own son. It makes it pretty clear, doesn't it? Mark starts by saying, here's the good news, here's the story of the Messiah, God's son. I want to show you that he's the Messiah. Bang, I want to show you that he's God's son. Bang, he does. Mark punches through things pretty quickly and he set it up now so that as we go through the rest of the, uh, the story, he's going to continue to unpack those themes. 
And now, uh, we're about to hear from Jesus for the first time. Uh, And the message that Mark records for us out of Jesus' mouth is a wonderful first step uh, in our apprenticeship. So have a look with me in verses 14 and 15. I'm just going to read them. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. John was put in prison, as Mark says. Uh, He was put in prison, we find out, in the other Gospels for standing up to Herod, the corrupt ruler, right? Uh, And and this imprisonment of John was sort of like a natural step for Jesus to then go and start proclaiming his message. And his message was simple. The time has come. The kingdom of heaven, uh, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is saying the time has come. The long-awaited saviour is here. Uh, and there's a response expected. And that response, to repent and believe the good news. To repent and believe the good news. And this, tonight, is our application for us as we consider our apprenticeship to Jesus. The very essence of our apprenticeship to Jesus is to repent and to believe the good news. Let's have a look at the meaning of this familiar phrase, right? There's three things I think we should define that we can properly understand it. Repent, believe, and good news, which we looked at before. Let's think about repent, right? Uh, I've heard, we've, you've probably heard this, if you've been in church, you've probably heard this word heaps and heaps of times. It's a good word, it's a powerful word, it's at the very centre of what it means to be a Christian. Um, let's unpack it a little bit. In Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, this word means to have a complete change of mind, Right? Complete change of mind. It's a change of mind and heart and attitude that impacts your way of living. It is a turning away from your sin, like we hear regularly, but it's more than just a turning away from your sin. Uh, it's a complete transformation of your heart and your soul and your mind and the actions that follow. Complete transformation. We need this, right? We at Narrabeen need this. We live in a secular world, and our worldview, yours and mine, uh, it's formed more by social media and popular thought than, than the Word of God. Uh, we're closer to uh, the, the common thoughts of the world around us than we are to God's thoughts. Uh, and so we need a constant change of mind. We need this constant repentance to have our minds transformed, our minds changed, so that we align with what God thinks. That's what it means to repent, have a change of mind. Believe, or well, believe... Uh, It might seem pretty simple on the outside, and and I suppose it is, but it's not just believing that something's true. It's not just some sort of mental assent to something, saying, yes, I believe, like I believe there's a moon, I believe gravity exists. It's more than that. It means to trust, to trust. Uh, But the Greek word, again, sorry to keep going into Greek, but the Greek word's in the present tense, and all that means is that this belief, this trust, is a continuous action. It's a habit. You Keep trusting. You trust and you keep trusting. You believe and you keep believing. You have faith and you keep having faith. You don't stop. It's not a one-time thing that when I become a Christian, I put my faith in Jesus and then, cool. No, it's continuous. It's a habit that you form. This constant habit of having faith, of trusting, of believing uh, and repenting. Uh, it's knowing that uh, when, you, when you live according to God's word, you can trust, knowing that regardless of the outcome, Everything's going to be all right. Repent, believe, and good news. 
as we saw earlier, good news, uh, good news would have meant God stepping in to, to intervene, to rescue, to save his people. And in the Old Testament, this is speaking about a time where God will rule and the world will be restored so that everything is as it should be. And we'll see that in Mark, that is accomplished. Uh, it's accomplished in Jesus' death to pay for our sin uh, and his resurrection to guarantee a new creation. We need to repent and believe the good news. And, and what do you, to put it all together, what do you think it means? Well, try it this way. Uh, I found this sort of helpful way of thinking about it. To repent and believe the good news means you need to change the way you think about God, your life, and the world around you and trust that God has stepped in to bring about the world we all long for. You need to change the way you think about God, your life and the world around you, and trust that God has stepped in to bring about the world we all long for. And then your actions will be based on that. We'll unpack it a little bit in a moment. But I say that this is the essence of our discipleship, of our apprenticeship, because it's fundamental to how we approach our Christian lives. If we don't get this, if we don't get the continuous aspect of it, then our faith is really just to say a one-off prayer to commit to Jesus, Live as if nothing happened and wait till you die and go to heaven, right? That's not discipleship. That's not Christianity. Uh, you need to change the way you think about God. Change the way you think about your life, the world around you, uh, and trust that God has stepped in to bring about the world we long for. So let's think how this changes our approach to apprenticeship in Jesus. I've got a few examples uh, that we'll finish with. Uh, you may feel that you need a job uh, a, a good job that will give you meaning in life, right? Not just a job that pays the bills, but a job that, that you're passionate about and that gives you meaning and purpose. And that's a good thing to have, right? Uh, but you may jump from one job to another trying to find this, but never actually quite find it. Uh, well, the gospel causes us to change our thinking, to change our thinking about where we find meaning. Trust that God has stepped in, that he's given you life and meaning and purpose uh, through reconciling you to him and through uh, the works of Jesus. He gives you a, a hope of a new perfect world. And then know that whatever job you're in, no matter how meaningless it may seem at that point in time, it is a chance for you to carry out your apprenticeship, to shine God's light to those around you uh, in your workforce and the people that you may serve through your work. You might feel that your faith has become stagnant. You're just not feeling it anymore like you used to, right? Uh, and there's actually, there's actually probably more to be gained from life by spending my time and effort on my career or my relationships or on leisure than Jesus and his church. Genuinely, I reckon that I could probably gain more from life if I do that. Uh, that's not my words, by the way. Uh, you, but if this is you, you need to change the way you think about life. The pleasure and meaning you search for isn't found in those things. And what's the good news here? Well, the good news is that God has stepped in to bring about the world we all long for. God has stepped in. And the world that we all long and ache for at the deepest recesses of our hearts is not found in, in what you're seeking, but in what God brings. And we need to change a heart to be able to trust that he is doing that. And to allow him to change your mind about what a good, happy and fulfilled life may look like. Maybe you feel approval is an important thing in your life, right? You're a people pleaser, uh, and you just need to be loved. That's me, right? It's definitely me, uh, and, and I need a change of thinking. We need a change of thinking here, right? Because when we understand that God stepped in to bring about the world that we all really need, we realize that part of that world is reconciliation with God, that we're accepted by God, 
because Jesus lived a perfect life on our behalf. We're worthy and loved by the creator of the universe. And, it, and then it gives us this great freedom from the need of approval. Uh, meaning that even if you aren't the best mum or spouse or employee or pastor, you're still loved deeply and worth more than you dare imagine. It's what it means to have a change of mind and believe that the answers are found in Jesus. Or, or let's strip it back to the, very, uh, to the very basics. You may not have even begun your apprenticeship to Jesus. And the message for you is to change your mind about God in yourself. Jesus came to remake the world, yes, but at the centre of the world are sinful people. Uh, and, and part of Jesus' mission was to bring sinful people back to God. He died to take the punishment for, for all the wrongdoing you have done, and he rose again to guarantee that you and all who trust in him will experience life as it's meant to be. And in this case, he calls us to turn away from our own way, to turn away from our sin and the things that we seek to fulfill our lives and realize that Jesus is the only way to be made right with God and therefore the only way to experience life as it was meant to be. As we look through Mark, we're going to see a picture of discipleship, of, of apprenticeship, that may not look like the ideal life. Jesus is straightforward and honest. There's no bait and switch with Jesus. He doesn't say, come to me, you'll be rich, you'll get all the chicks, and life's going to be good, and they come follow him and all die, right? Jesus is straight from the outset. He says, you follow me, get ready to give up everything you hold dear and die. And you probably read that and you're like, yeah, sick life, thanks. Um, But this is why we need a change of thinking. Jesus is honest about the difficulties of being his apprentices. It's a common theme throughout Mark, and we'll all see that as we travel through it. Apprenticeship to Jesus may mean, may mean, missing out on earthly opportunities, on money, on popularity, and may mean losing certain relationships, or your job, or your life. And Jesus says to his disciples many times, if you're not ready, that's fine. Off you go. But remember the good news. God has stepped in to make things right and bring about the world we all long for. And you may not think you long for this world that Jesus is going to teach us about in the Gospel of Mark. You may not. It may not be attractive to you, uh, and definitely it's not attractive to me sometimes when I read through it as well. But every earthly thing you long for is only a uh, poor substitute for the world that Jesus is bringing. It's not here yet. It is, in a way, and it's being revealed in part, uh, but when we take our apprenticeship seriously, we'll, we'll see it even deeper in our lives. Uh, Last year, Daniel spoke to us about the fruit of the Spirit. Think about these. These are the fruit of the Spirit. This This is some of the skills you acquire when you are an apprentice to Jesus. Love, joy, peace. Imagine being able to say, I am a person of peace. I have constant joy and I love others wonderfully. Patience, kindness, goodness. Imagine the transformation in your personal relationships if you could be more patient. Man, my kids would... Save money on psychologists later in life, right? Uh, Kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. We'll exhibit these and more as we grow as apprentices of Jesus. The apprenticeship changes your life and the life of the community around you. When you live this by uh, by this apprenticeship, you, you exhibit traits that you and the world around you long for. They desire, they're hungry for it. It actually becomes the good news to them when they see the change that your master makes in your life as his apprentice. But it's also personal. We have the freedom, as I said before, of forgiveness, knowing that you're accepted and loved and forgiven by the God who made you. You're cleansed 
pardon from all of your wrongdoing. No guilt or fear of punishment. Uh, No need to try to measure up to an angry God or to try to seek his approval or to try to win back his love. It's done, it's paid for, and personally you know that Jesus has, has brought you back to the God who made you. And you, all of us, can look forward to a day where all sickness, evil, death, wanting, desire will be done away with, where the world will literally be restored to the way it was meant to be, completely restored. And the cool thing is that all this work has been completed by Christ on our behalf. Uh, that's why it's an apprenticeship and not we're out there trying to work out this thing on our own. We walk alongside our master. He's completed it all on our behalf. Even if we're ordinary apprentices, he's completed it all on our behalf. And now, we as his apprentices, we're invited in, painted into the picture, allowed the privilege of learning from him, working alongside him, uh, and becoming more like him as we partner with him in the restoration of the world. And we need to change our minds about what we think about the world, about what we think about God, about what we think about ourselves. We need to change our minds and our hearts and our actions and and believe, trust, that it is only apprenticeship to Jesus that will find everything we truly need. I hope you're challenged by that as we go through the Gospel of Mark. Let's pray. We thank you, God, that uh, you have intervened, that the good news is true, uh, that that time that people for centuries we're waiting for, uh, came to be as Jesus set foot on this earth and has lived, lived a life on our behalf and died a death in our place uh, and Lord has now invited us to be his apprentices. We thank you that there is good news, that you have intervened and you will continue to intervene and one day uh, you will remake everything, that all our, the longings of our heart will be fulfilled because of the work of your son Jesus. We pray that you'll please change our hearts and minds, that we will repent, uh, that our thoughts will be your thoughts, that what you love, we will love, that what you desire, we will desire, that your plan for our life uh, will be made clear to us as we seek to honour you in all things we do. Equip us through the power of your spirit as your apprentices, uh, that we may train, we may walk alongside our master, become more like him. And we pray that a community of Narrabeen and the world around us uh, will benefit uh, from us having known and come into contact with Jesus. We pray it in his mighty name. Amen.